0: chapter 21 of the law and the lady this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by wibke müller the law and the lady by wilkie collins chapter 21 i see my way in the grey light of the new morning i closed the report of my husband's trial for the murder of his first wife no sense of fatigue overpowered me i had no wish after my long hours of reading and thinking to lay down and sleep it was strange but it was so i felt as if i had slept and had now just awakened a new woman with a new mind i could now at last understand eustace's decision of me to a man of his refinement it would have been a martyrdom to meet his wife after she had read the things published of him to all the world in the report i felt that as he would have felt it At the same time, I thought he might have trusted me to make amends to him for the martyrdom, and might have come back. Perhaps it might yet end in his coming back. In the meanwhile, and in that expectation, I pitied and forgave him with my whole heart. One little matter only dwelt on my mind disagreeably, in spite of my philosophy. Did Eustace still secretly love Mrs. Bowley, or had I extinguished that passion in him? To what order of beauty did this lady belong? Were we by any chance the least in the world like one another?" The window of my room looked to the east. I drew up the blind, and saw the sun rising grandly in the clear sky. The temptation to go out and breathe the fresh morning air was irresistible. I put on my hat and jewel, and took the report of the trial under my arm. The bolts of the back door were easily drawn. In another minute I was out in Benjamin's pretty little garden. Composed and strengthened by the inviting solitude and the delicious air, I found courage enough to face the serious question that now confronted me—the question of the future. I had read the trial. I had vowed to devote my life to the sacred object of vindicating my husband's innocence. A solitary, defenseless woman, I stood pledged to myself to carry that desperate resolution through to an end. How was I to begin?" the bold way of beginning was surely the wise way in such a position as mine i had good reasons founded as i have already mentioned on the important part played by this witness at the trial for believing that the fittest person to advise and assist me was miserrimus dexter he might disappoint the expectations that i had fixed on him or he might refuse to help me or like my uncle starkweather he might think i had taken leave of my senses all these events were possible nevertheless i held to my resolution to try the experiment if he were in the land of the living i decided that my first step at starting should take me to the deformed man with a strange name supposing he received me sympathized with me understood me what would he say the nurse in her evidence had reported him as speaking in an off-hand manner he would say in all probability what do you mean to do and how can i help you to do it had i answers ready if those two plain questions were put to me yes if i dared own to any human creature what was at that very moment secretly fermenting in my mind yes if i could confide to a stranger a suspicion roused in me by the trial which i have been thus far afraid to mention even in these pages it must nevertheless be mentioned now my suspicion led to results which are part of my story and part of my life let me own then to begin with that i closed the record of the trial actually agreeing in one important particular with the opinion of my enemy and my husband's enemy the lord advocate he had characterized the explanation of mrs Eustace macallan's death offered by the defence as a clumsy subterfuge in which no reasonable being could discern the smallest fragment of probability without going quite so far as this i too could see no reason whatever in the evidence for assuming that the poor woman had taken an overdose of the poison by mistake i believed that she had the arsenic secretly in her possession and that she had tried or intended to try the use of it internally for the purpose of improving her complexion but further than this i could not advance the more i thought of it the more plainly justified the lawyers for the prosecution seemed to me to be in declaring that mrs eustace macallan had died by the hand of a poisoner although they were entirely and certainly mistaken in charging my husband with a crime my husband being innocent somebody else on my own showing must be guilty who among the persons inhabiting the house at the time had poisoned mrs eustace macallan My suspicion in answering that question pointed straight to a woman, and the name of that woman was Mrs. Bowley. Yes, to that startling conclusion I had arrived. It was, to my mind, the inevitable result of reading the evidence. Look back for a moment to the letter produced in court, signed Helena, and addressed to Mr. MacAllan. No reasonable person can doubt, though the judges excused her from answering the question that Mrs. Bowley was the writer. Very well. The letter offers, as I think, trustworthy evidence to show the state of the woman's mind when she paid her visit to Glen Inch. Writing to Mr. MacAllan at a time when she was married to another man, a man to whom she had engaged herself before she met with Mr. MacAllan. what does she say? She says, When I think of your life sacrificed to that wretched woman, my heart bleeds for you. And again she says, if it had been my unutterable happiness to love and cherish the best the dearest of men what a paradise of our own we might have lived in what delicious hours we might have known if this is not the language of a woman shamelessly and furiously in love with a man not her husband what is she is so full of him that even her idea of another world see the letter is the idea of embracing mr macallan's soul in this condition of mind and morals the lady one day finds herself and her embraces free through the death of her husband as soon as she can decently visit she goes visiting and in due course of time she becomes the guest of the man whom she adores his wife is ill in bed the one other visitor at gleninch is a cripple who can only move in his chair on wheels the lady has the house and the one beloved object in it all to herself no obstacle stands between her and the unutterable happiness of loving and cherishing the best the dearest of men but a poor sick ugly wife for whom mr macallan never has felt and never can feel the smallest particle of love is it perfectly absurd to believe that such a woman as this impelled by these motives and surrounded by these circumstances would be capable of committing a crime if the safe opportunity offered itself what does her own evidence say she admits that she had a conversation with Mrs. Eustace MacAllan, in which that lady questioned her on the subject of cosmetic applications to the complexion. Did nothing else take place at that interview? Did Mrs. Bowley make no discoveries, afterwards turned a fatal account of the dangerous experiment which her hostess was then trying to improve her ugly complexion? All we know is that Mrs. Bowley said nothing about it. What does the undergardener say?' he heard a conversation between mr macallan and mrs Bowley, which shows that the possibility of mrs Bowley becoming mrs eustace macallan had certainly presented itself to that lady's mind and was certainly considered by her to be too dangerous a topic of discourse to be pursued innocent mr macallan would have gone on talking mrs Bowley is discreet and stops him and what does the nurse christina Ormsay, say tell us on the day of Mrs. Eustace MacAllan's death, the nurse is dismissed from attendance and is sent downstairs. She leaves the sick woman recovered from her first attack of illness and able to amuse herself with writing. The nurse remains away for half an hour and then gets uneasy at not hearing the invalid's bell. She goes to the morning room to consult Mr. MacAllan, and there she hears that Mrs. Bowley is missing. Mr. MacAllan doesn't know where she is and asks Mr. Dexter if he has seen her. Mr. Dexter had not set eyes on her at what time does the disappearance of mrs poley take place at the very time when christina ormsay had left mrs eustace macallan alone in her room meanwhile the bell rings at last rings violently the nurse goes back to the sick-room at five minutes to eleven or thereabouts and finds that the bad symptoms of the morning have returned in a gravely aggravated form a second dose of poison larger than the dose administered in the early morning has been given during the absence of the nurse and observe during the disappearance also of mrs the nurse looking out into the corridor for help encounters mrs bowley herself innocently on her way from her own room just up we are to suppose at eleven in the morning to inquire after the sick woman a little later mrs bowley accompanies mr macallan to visit the invalid the dying woman casts a strange look at both of them and tells them to leave her mr macallan understands this as the fretful outbreak of a person in pain and waits in the room to tell the nurse that the doctor is sent for what does mrs bowley do she runs out panic-striking the instant mrs eustace macallan looks at her even mrs bowley it seems has a conscience is there nothing to justify suspicion in such circumstances as these circumstances sworn to on the oaths of the witnesses To me, the conclusion is plain. Mrs. Bowley's hand gave that second dose of poison. Admit this, and the inference follows that she also gave the first dose in the early morning. How could she do it? Look again at the evidence. The nurse admits that she was asleep from past two in the morning to six. She also speaks of a locked door of communication with the sick-room, the key of which had been removed. Nobody knew by whom. Some person must have stolen that key why not mrs bowley one word more and all that i had in my mind at that time will be honestly revealed miserrimus dexter under cross-examination had indirectly admitted that he had ideas of his own on the subject of mrs eustace macallan's death at the same time he had spoken of mrs bowley in a tone which plainly betrayed that he was no friend to that lady did he suspect her too My chief motive in deciding to ask his advice before I applied to any one else was to find an opportunity of putting that question to him. If he really thought of her as I did, my course was clear before me. The next step to take would be carefully to conceal my identity, and then to present myself in the character of a harmless stranger to Mrs. Bowley. There were difficulties, of course, in my way. The first and greatest difficulty was to obtain an introduction to Misserimus Dexter, The composing influence of the fresh air in the garden had by this time made me readier to lie down and rest than to occupy my mind in reflecting on my difficulties. Little by little I grew too drowsy to think, then too lazy to go on walking. My bed looked wonderfully inviting as I passed by the open window of my room. In five minutes more I had accepted the invitation of the bed, and had said farewell to my anxieties and my troubles. In five minutes more I was fast asleep. A discreetly gentle knock at my door was the first sound that aroused me. I heard the voice of my good old Benjamin speaking outside. "'My dear, I am afraid you will be starved if I let you sleep any longer. It is half past one o'clock, and a friend of yours has come to lunch with us.' "'A friend of mine? What friends had I. My husband was far away, and my uncle Starkweather had given me up in despair. "'Who is it?' i cried out from my bed through the door major fitz david benjamin answered by the same medium i sprang out of bed the very man i wanted was waiting to see me major fitz david as the phrase is knew everybody intimate with my husband he would certainly know my husband's old friend miserrimus dexter shall i confess that i took particular pains with my toilet and that i kept the luncheon waiting the woman doesn't live who would have done otherwise when she had a particular favor to ask of major fitz david chapter twenty one